you have your copy of God's Word today, would you go with me again to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I want to encourage you today when, you're, when we're finished in this service and you've spent some time, you and Jesus together, uh, I encourage you to, to stop by and visit with our friend on your way out today. Thank you so much for giving. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. If you have it, follow along. Feel free to read along with me. If not, it's also on our screen for you today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We talked last week about schemes and how the the root word there is strategies or methods, the ways that he goes about attacking and, and working in our world. And we've talked about how there's some organization to it. He's not just willy-nilly attacking, so to speak. He is actually going in a strategic way, looking for that inroad to get in and uh, intentionally and aggressively attacking against God's plans and people. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We've established in this series so far... We have a real enemy. We commonly refer to him as the devil or Satan, but we have a real enemy leading an organized attack against God's plans and against God's people. We have a real enemy leading an organized attack against God's plans and God's people. Now, last week we touched on demon possession. We touched on that because uh, oftentimes in this conversation someone asks about it off, off to the side somewhere. Demon possession is the full extreme control of evil in someone who is not a Jesus follower. If you're a Jesus follower, the idea of being completely possessed by darkness uh, doesn't align with Scripture. Light and dark cannot coexist. And what we do see in Jesus' ministry on earth is that there were people who were demon-possessed or possessed by evil spirits, spirit or spirits, plural, And a lot of times they would recognize that, and Jesus saw that, by the control that was going on and by uh, either a voice who recognized Jesus or by some of the things that that person would do under that control from the demonic power. Now, what I don't want you to do is get carried away in this conversation and think that you're just going to be around somebody demon-possessed every day of your life. I want, you to, I want you to live in the proper understanding of Scripture. Could it happen? Sure. But probably some of you have never been around someone who's demon-possessed, or you at least haven't been in a service like this where someone has been demon-possessed, or maybe someone has prayed for someone to be delivered from a demon. It, it probably is not going to be the one that's the most common occurrence in your life. What you are going to deal with, and I would suggest probably on a fairly regular basis, is temptation... The potential for division with other people in relationships. We talked about that last week. Deceit or the enemy trying to convince you of things that aren't true. Distortion of the truth of the gospel. And doubt. The enemy wants to lead you to believe that sin is uh, appeasing or appetizing to your life. And that sin's consequences are less than what they really are. In fact, uh, someone, I don't know the origin of the statement, but I've been hearing it all my life. Someone once said that the enemy and sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you you there longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. 
It's this idea that the enemy wants to paint it in some way like it's going to be good, it's going to be enjoyable, it's actually going to be beneficial to your life in some way. Be free. Don't let God tell you what to do. And then ultimately, he also wants to lead you to question God, to question God's Word, and to question God's character, His motives, and His goodness. This is especially true in moments when life is tough. When you face something that you didn't expect, when you face something that is hard, when you face something that doesn't feel good at all, the enemy wants you to question, can I trust God? Is God going to be faithful? Does God really have a desire for hope and a future and to cause me to prosper? Is He really good? Is He really who He says He is? And He wants you to question God's Word and the truth and the promises that God has given us about life. Now, the question becomes, if this is true, and it is, that Satan is leading, leading this organized attack against us and against God's plans, and even though it may come in an ebb and flow, and there may be cycles of it where we don't feel like we're facing much attack from the enemy, and other times where we feel like there's a lot, the ultimate question for us as Jesus followers is, how do we combat this ongoing work of Satan in our lives? How do we successfully uh, and victoriously fight against the devil's schemes. If it's inevitable that we're going to deal with some of this, how do we fight it? What do we do? And uh, I want to tell you that I'm going to start this conversation today and I'm going to pick it up again next week because I just there's too much to try to cover in one moment. But here's where I want to start. You're going to, you're going to deal with this battle. You're going to deal with this war that we're in. And I want you to recognize this, this right off the bat. You are not strong enough to defeat the enemy on your own. Neither am I. We're not strong enough to defeat the enemy on our own. We're not strong enough to overcome on our own. We're not strong enough to face the attacks or even just the tough moments in life on our own. How can I be so bold as to say that? Well, as representatives of humanity, Adam and Eve fell to the schemes of the enemy. And I, I think it's interesting... Adam and Eve fell before the stain of sin was present. They were in paradise. Remember last week we talked to some degree that, that uh, and, and even in Wednesday night Bible study, if you were there, we talked to some degree that Satan wanting to seek to devour is coming on the heels of kind of having some success in paradise. I mean, he convinced Adam and Eve to go against God. So in our world today, if, if Adam and Eve fail to remember and obey what God said, how much more with a sin-stained nature, without the help of God in some way, how much more would we fall? If we're honest, we recognize in our lives that we are sometimes weak. Be honest. We recognize that in our day-to-day -day life or looking back over the years of our lives that we, in our own power, are weak. Now, there are a lot of people who have a lot of great willpower, uh, people that are determined. I love it that people can go between services and not eat donuts in the lobby. I think that's great. Congratulations. I think it's great that people run and, and look good enough to take their shirt off. I mean, I, I just think it's great stuff. Good for them. I don't have that kind of willpower, apparently. I, I, I think there are a lot of people who have this great willpower. They can set out to do something and set out to be determined to do something, and they can achieve it for quite some time. And I want to make sure that you understand 
There are certainly benefits to creating a good structure and a good support system in our lives and safeguards against the harmful things in this world. I mean, if you know that there's a particular area of your life that you struggle in, then it's good to have someone who helps hold you accountable. It's good to have someone who's going to encourage you. It's good to have those things. What we've proven is that when we don't have some of those things, and especially if we're not depending on the power of God in our lives, we've proven many times that when we try to do things on our own, we fall short. When we try to accomplish things on our own, we fail. So let me go a step further. To understand who we're fighting against, we need to understand scripturally in Hebrews chapter 2, we're told that angels or angelic beings were created less than God and a little greater than human beings. So there is some supernatural ability. Now, while Satan and demonic powers are not equal to God... As fallen angelic beings, they do have some power. They do. Now, I, I, I want to be careful in this because I think sometimes we can either give too much credit or too little credit to the enemy, right? We tend to be humans who like to swing the pendulum one way too far. And when we go to swing it back, we go the, too far the other way. But in reality, we do need to be aware that he's not equal to God. He doesn't have all power. He doesn't have all knowledge. And he's not everywhere at one time ever present. But at the same time, he's real, he's a real enemy, and he does have power to come against us. And he does have demons, demonic spirits at his disposal. Even the greatest of Bible characters fell short within their own strength. I think about the words of Jesus to Peter. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples with Jesus. Peter was, uh, Peter was quick to give his opinion on a lot of things, not good at biting his tongue. Spoke out of turn a few times. Jesus even told him, get thee behind me, Satan, at one point, if that tells you anything. But Jesus said to Peter, in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he shares with Peter the importance of this journey with Jesus. And he says to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. Now, let me put it in maybe a vernacular that you can understand just a little bit better. The enemy wants to shake your faith. Your belief in God, your belief in God's Word, your belief in the promises of God. Jesus said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, and that same desire of the enemy is true today in our lives. He wants to shake our faith. And then he went far enough to say to Peter in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so you will not fall into temptation. Journey and seek the source and find the strength that you need. Otherwise, you will fall into temptation. Why? Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Even Scripture is pointing out that in our own power, in our own attempts, we're going to fall short. Why is it? Is there any other reason that God would say, My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness except for the fact that we are weak on our own. That on our own, we can do a lot, we can put a lot of safeguards in place, we should have structure, we should have accountability, all those different things, but there are still moments that in our own power, we could fall short. And I want to just establish to you today that we do not defeat the devil in our own power. If that was the only potential we had, we'd be in trouble. 
But the answer comes in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And i got to be honest with you, I, I really wanted to go further in this passage. I really wanted to talk more about the armor of God this week, but we'll do that next week. But I, I want to start here because I just believe it's a good reminder for the day that we're living. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, Paul said, and I'm going to add some emphasis to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in His mighty power. We've been declaring it for a long time. Anyone remember the chorus that probably as children we often sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, tells me so. Okay, some of you at least know it. And little ones to Him belong, they are weak, but He is strong. We've been declaring it from early on. We are weak, but He is strong. It's not about our power. It's not about our ability to determine just on our own that we're going to make something happen. Scripture is teaching us that in our own strength, we would be victims with no hope of victory. We would be subjected to the devil's strategies. We would be subjected to the weakness of the flesh and even the power of sin. And we on our own would have no ability to overcome. The devil, in fact would think that he had us at that point. But it seems like God and Satan from the beginning of time, after Satan being kicked out of heaven, it seems like they've been engaged in this game of chess. God creates mankind in His image without the stain of sin. Satan rebels against God. He becomes the fallen angel. And then he makes his move to deceive mankind and cause them to rebel against God. It worked. Mankind fell. There was then a sin problem infecting the life stream and bloodstream of humanity. And at that point, there was a problem between God and man. But God made a promise. Even from the moment of the fall of mankind, God made sure that the enemy knew man, humankind, is not going to be a pawn in your game. You're going to pay for this, and you're going to pay for every move going forward. I've got a move of my own. And Scripture teaches us that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. And and He secured our salvation and forgiveness of sin. Now this is great. Watch it. It's Colossians 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Instead of how we were and what our status was, He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All right, so pause there. That's a good reason to say thank you, Jesus. Because he was innocent and we were guilty, but he took on our sin and paid the price of death so that we could be set free and we could have life. That's a good reason to thank the Lord. But notice, Paul writes it a step further. And this speaks to not just the status change from death to life and from darkness to light. This speaks to how we succeed in this ongoing battle. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So if you've studied this, then you may be aware 
that in military victories in that time, when someone went out to fight a battle or a war, those leaders would come back to town and they would show the fruit of their labors. They would come back and declare victory, and whether it was the bodies or the heads of even the people that they'd fought, they would come back and have this luxurious parade throughout the streets to show everybody, we won, and here's the proof. And so what Paul is saying here is, Jesus didn't just pay for your sin, but he also put the devil in his place. He also defeated the enemy. Every tool of the enemy, every power of darkness, he defeated all of them through his life and death and resurrection. So in Jesus, there is salvation and grace and a status change for our lives. In Jesus, Romans teaches us especially, there is power over sin and power over our flesh. And in Jesus, he proved himself greater than every power and every weapon of evil. So that means in Jesus, there's power over darkness in our lives. Jesus, in fact, is the only source of victory in our lives. That's why the writer of Hebrews said it like this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter, the author and finisher of our faith. We are to fix our eyes on Jesus. While we're in this battle, while we're in this war, while we're in this struggle, we don't look to ourselves because we've already deemed that in ourselves we're weak. If we try to figure it all out on our own, if we try to solve the problems on our own, if we try to fight the enemy on our own, we're going to fall short. I mean, just take the practical examples. How many of us have at times in our lives tried to fix and solve the problems that we've had and all it has led to is more worry and what if and struggle in our hearts and lives. Right? We, we hopefully are learning in ourselves that the best thing to do on that purely practical level is to trust the Lord and rather than be consumed by worry in our lives, to depend on who He is and what His Word has said and trust Him rather than looking to ourselves. Well, if that's true even in this natural life, how much more is it true in this supernatural war that we're dealing with? We cannot do this on our own, so we don't look to ourselves. We don't become this greater power on our own. We don't even look to human strategies alone. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And if if you know anything about this idea of fixing your eyes, it means to focus and to keep it there. How many parents in the room? Anybody? All right, several of you. I knew that. I just wanted to make sure you still knew that and still claimed it. How many of you have ever had a child whether it was something they'd seen that they had questions about or whether it was something they'd done that caused them to need discipline and correction. How many of you have ever sat down to have a conversation with your kid? Yeah? Okay. How many of you ever have ever fought to feel like you're keeping their attention? Now, <clears throat> maybe, this is a, maybe this is a societal issue of ADHD. I think I'm ADHD. I don't even know what that all means, but I'm pretty sure I've got it, whatever it is, because I can bounce from one thought to the next to the next, quick thinker, fast conversations. I'm sure it annoys a lot of people. But my daughter is kind of like that too, my oldest. And we're talking and we're trying to, hey, do you know why you shouldn't have left your Taco Bell wrappers on the dining room table? 
but you should have thrown them in the trash. Do you understand why this action or reaction at school wasn't appropriate? You guys laughed at Taco Bell. I think we're keeping them open at this point. I, I, I'm not, but they are. Uh, I, you, you, all these different moments of conversation, too, whether it's correction, whether it's discipline, whether it's explanation and helping, people, helping them see the truth, whatever the case, I always look at her and I say, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. I want to know you're listening. I want to know you're paying attention. And even sometimes I'll say, can you say back to me what I just said to you? I'm thankful my wife doesn't do that to me all the time. (laughs) Some of you husbands said amen. My point is, you want them to focus their attention to really let sink in what's going on. The writer of Hebrews said we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, that we should position our eyes and our heart to focus on Him and to keep our attention there. Why? What happens? When we focus on Jesus, He becomes greater and the world becomes less. He becomes greater and the enemy is less. That's why the psalmist said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt His name together. It's this idea that the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the less concerned we are about everything else. The more we fix our eyes on Jesus and keep our focus on Him, it won't matter what's in the news reports. I'm not saying to, to, to live naive. I'm not saying that we are not aware. I'm just simply saying we, could come, we come to that place in the practical side of living where we're not worried and, and thrown off by every little thing that's going on in life because we're focused on Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, we focus on His Word. And when we focus on His Word, we know His promises and His truth. And we don't have to get caught up and, and messed up in all of what's going on around us. Well, the same is true with the enemy. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We focus on Him. And we remember by focusing on Him that He's much greater than the enemy. And He's already defeated the enemy. So I don't have to worry. I may have to go through some things and I may deal with some attacks and I may deal with some problems, but I'm going to come through it because I'm looking at Jesus. And if I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'll be reminded He'll carry me through. I'm victorious because He is. Fix our eyes on Jesus. In Revelation chapter 12, there's a description of Satan called the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of our brothers and sisters. In fact, the name Satan means adversary or accuser. He is our enemy. He has set himself up against God and against God's people. And the Bible says that that accuser of our brothers and sisters has been triumphed over. Do you know how? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm trying to establish for you today that it is in Jesus we are victorious and not in our own power and our own way of solving it. So the blood of the Lamb is speaking of Jesus dying on the cross and doing exactly what Paul talked about in Colossians a few moments ago. And the word of our testimony is not just us telling our story of where we came from and what we've done. It's telling the story of how Jesus has changed our life. So what am I saying? In all of it, it's all about looking to Jesus. It's all about the King. It's all about the one who's victorious. He's the victor and he brings victory in our lives. He's our source. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
And if you remain in me and I in you, or if you dwell in me and I in you, or if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And here's, here's the line that cinches the relationship with Jesus for every one of us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We don't fight successfully. We don't fight victoriously. We don't know how to live and how to navigate this life. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. He says to us, I am the source of life. I am the source of power. I am the source of victory. So if we will abide, if we will dwell, if we will remain in Jesus, if we will keep ourselves fixed on Him, we will be spiritually fruitful. And that means that we will be victorious in a way that it shows in our lives. Fruitful. I mean, I, I'm not a, a person of agriculture. In fact, I grew up in an area where there were a lot of farmers, and I really should have listened to more what they said. I, I just, that's not what we did. My, my dad's been a welder and machinist for decades. We, we weren't into farming, but I passed farmland every day going to school as a child. Uh, peanuts, cotton, and usually they would rotate the two. It was just the way that the fields were better. But what I do know, that or horticulture or, or any culture for that matter, if the, if the branch, I'm glad you caught that, if the branch is cut off from the vine, if you break off a limb from the tree even, it loses the source of life. The nutrients flow because of that connection. How do nutrients get to those branches without that strong connection? Branches wither and are cut off from the vine. So my point in telling you all of this is to establish that we have a real enemy and we need to be in Jesus in order to be victorious. And Let me go one step further today, and this is where I want us to land for just a few moments. We don't need a loose connection with Jesus. We need a close connection with Jesus. I have, um, I, I, I guess it's just destined for us to live in places, but it seems like everywhere we've ever lived, we have at least one plug, one outlet in the house or in the apartment that is loose. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's in just enough to not fall out to the ground, but it's out far enough that it won't charge anything. And the plug just dangles there. It's, it's in it, but it's not really. Not enough for the power to go through the cord to get to the... So you, you sit down or you lay down, especially at night. I don't know about you guys, but usually I can charge my phone at night or charge my watch at night. Uh, I have some, some earbuds at charging. I can charge those things, and then the next morning when I get up, I've got enough juice, so to speak, to last for the whole day. Sometimes. Depends on how, how much my phone blows up in one day. But usually I can charge it overnight and I'm good for the day. It's fully charged. Have you ever awakened and gotten to where you needed to go and realized, my phone's not fully charged. It's in low battery mode. It never connected to the charger. It never charged. There's this loose connection and because of the loose connection with the plug or the outlet, uh, the power, the charge didn't come through and now I don't have that. So we need the power, we need the charge, we need the victory in our lives that comes only through Jesus and in order for us to experience that in Jesus, we need a strong connection and closeness with God, not distance. Simply put, 
You don't live in victory over a full-time devil with a part-time relationship with Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound um, very pastoral in this moment, okay? I, I, I don't know that this is... Um, I get very hesitant to, to say that this would be a thus saith the Lord moment or, a, or a, even what some people might would try to call a prophetic moment. What I do know is it is weighing on my heart this reality that we are living in a world where the enemy is very active. And I, I wrote it down as I felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you. So here goes. Now is not the time for games when it comes to relationship with Jesus. Now is not the time for one foot in, one foot out. I'll make it if I get there. I'll read my Bible sometime later. Now is not the time for Jesus to just be one segment of our lives that fits into this neat little box and everything else is everything else in life. Now is not the time for other priorities. Now is not the time for space between ourselves and God. God said, if you will draw closer to me, I will draw closer to you. And it tells me that the ball is in our court. That it's on us. And if we're not careful, there are things that will get between us. And the enemy would love that. If he can find any space in there to get in between, he'd love that. But now is not the time for us to let that happen. Now is not the time for us to play some religious game where we know the outward appearance, but we're denying the power of God to be at work in our lives. We don't need more of self. We don't need more of what the world's got to offer. We need less of self, more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit, and to be so full of God that there's no room for the enemy to find a place into our lives. We need a relationship with Jesus that is so close to him that it keeps the conduit of God open over our lives. I don't want to drip from God. I want him to pour out in my life and to immerse me in the person and work and power of God. Now's not the time for any disconnection. Now's not the time for disconnection. I am concerned that if not careful, the foretelling of God about the falling away of many people in the latter days will come to pass, but it won't be like you think. It will simply be that people start by drifting away from God and then getting caught up in the deception. It will start when we just let there be too much space between us and God. When we are okay with being okay, as long as we can edge on into heaven and slide in sideways, we're all right. When I'm looking at Scripture and I'm saying, number one, God's got so much He wants to do in our lives that I don't want some haphazard, half-hearted way of relationship with Jesus. I want to be all in and I want to be immersed. I want Him to drown me in what He's got for my life. And number two, if I'm going to be victorious in a world that's going absolutely berserk, I need to be closely connected with Jesus. He is the author. He is the finisher of my faith. He is the strength. He is the refuge. He is the power. He is the victory in my life. I need Jesus. It's the only way. It's the only way. So we run to Jesus in humility. It starts with if you're not a Jesus follower, I again, I, I grew up in a time when 
when uh, most people looking back would probably say that that uh, preachers unintentionally use fear tactics to try to give a call to the altar. <laughs> like, if you were on your way home tonight and you died in a car accident, would you be ready for eternity? I, I understand. I, I came from a, an era and a time when that kind of was the rhetoric of altar calls. The flip side of that is, I think they were just simply passionate about the truth of God's Word. And the reality is that Scripture declares, today is the day of salvation. That you are to seek the Lord while He may be found. So, so while I, I understand that you could say that, that this is just some uh, over-aggressive rhetoric, I would tell you today that if you're not a Jesus follower, today's the day to make the decision to follow Jesus. Today's the day to recognize you cannot do this life on your own. You don't have to do this life on your own. But Jesus has died for you and he loves you and he's welcoming you to a table and to a life that you could never fathom in your mind on your best day. And even if you've been away from God, maybe you followed Jesus and you knew the Lord, but you've been away from God and you have allowed that space to get larger and larger and larger. You can do the same thing that the prodigal son did in Luke 15 and come to your senses and realize today I don't need to be eating pig food and living in a pig pen and living in sin and a mess when God's got something so much greater for my life I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you and God's going to do the very same thing that the father did to the prodigal son he's going to jump off the porch because he's been waiting for you to come home and he's going to run to you and he's going to hug you and he's going to embrace you and he's going to celebrate with the angels in heaven because you've come home he's just waiting for you to come home he's just waiting for you and then we need to remain in Jesus in humility we need to never get so caught up in thinking that we can do it on our own 2nd Corinthians chapter 10 verse 3 the apostle Paul said it this way we'll reference it again more later we are human but we don't wage war as humans do this is a supernatural war We need supernatural weapons. We need supernatural power. And we experience that greater power when we walk closely with the greater power, the greatest power, Jesus himself. When we stay connected to the commander-in-chief who needs no election and who can never be defeated, the victorious champion, the warrior, the servant king, Jesus. Listen, I, I don't know what's ahead and I understand that, that this, again, can sound a little bit like a, a rhetoric that, that maybe feels different for people. And I, again, I'm not saying it's thus saith the Lord or prophetic in nature. But I will say I can't shake the reality that I think there's some things around the corner. I don't want you to be scared of that. I don't want you to be fearful of that. I just want you to be aware. The Bible doesn't say we should be in fear. The Bible just says we should be alert and of sober mind so that we can be aware of the devil's schemes. And I do believe, I'll say it this way, if you rewind the clock three years ago, four years ago, I don't think anyone would have predicted that we would have lived through everything we've lived through since then. Who would have thought? And no matter what subject you want to bring up today, no matter what It is, that is your soapbox spot. It's been politics, it's been COVID, it's been race, it's been all sorts of different things. 
And I don't think the enemy has given up yet. So now is not the time for there to be space between you and I and God. Now is not the time for us to be loosely connected with Jesus. Now is the time for us to be strongly connected with Him and close with Him. We must depend on God's strength to win our battles against the enemy. We must depend on God's strength to win our battles against the enemy. We serve the victor, so we fight from a place of his victory. And we need the power and help of the Holy Spirit. And we need to lean into the full armor of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're weapons of war in the spiritual world. And we need to depend on the Lord for his victory to be enacted in our lives. And I'm going to tell you that as we walk closely with Jesus, he equips us in the battle. As we walk close with Jesus, he equips us in the battle. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to sit back and spend all of our time trying to figure out what in the world's going to happen in the world next. What does this mean? How does this align? We don't have to spend all our time doing that. All we have to do is keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, and Jesus will equip us to walk through whatever we face. I'll wrap up like this, and this is the simplest way I know to tie a bow on this. Dick Brogdon, who's been a global worker to some of the hardest places in the world, this is what he said. Let us drink deeply of Jesus. It's the only way to survive. It's just that simple. Let us drink deeply of Jesus. It's the only way to survive. If your faith is in yourself, you'll fall. If your faith for what's going on in the world is merely in what the world has to offer, I'll go a step further. If your faith is in the donkey or the elephant, if your faith is in man, if your faith is in a certain place, if your faith, none of that's going to do it. Let us drink deeply of Jesus. It's the only way to survive. He's the only way to live in this world. He's the source. So I, I just want to end today by challenging all of us. Let's close the gap. Let's close the gap. I'm not looking to, to lay out to you a bunch of religious rules and you got to read this every day and pray this every day and da-da-da-da. I just, I just, my prayer as a pastor today, as your pastor today from my heart, is just simply that you would know such a deep richness in the relationship with Jesus like you've never known before. Uh, his invitation is simple. Come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what Jesus said. That my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When he called the disciples, we often think of the disciples in context of doing the work of Jesus. And we often think about them carrying on the Great Commission after Jesus ascended back to heaven. None of that's wrong. But the first thing he said when he called them to himself was, come and be with me. Come and be with me. So I want to challenge you today. 
to drink deeply of Jesus and to close any gap that would exist between you and the Lord because it's in Him that we're going to have life. It's in Him that we're going to have victory. It's in Him. In Him. In Him is everything we need. Would you stand with me today? I don't know anything else to do to try to convince and I don't, I don't think that's even my responsibility in this moment I think I've done what I need to do and today I'm just going to lead us in prayer and I'm going to invite you to make it personal for you and to, to really genuinely run to Jesus in whatever way you need to there are prayer team members that are here and I'm going to ask them to come and make themselves available on either side of the auditorium they will pray with you they'll encourage you they'll try to help point you to scripture to answer some questions you may have You may be wanting to make a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time. You may be coming back to God knowing that there's been way too far of a gap between you. Uh, There's so many different possibilities. But what I know is there are people who will pray with you and agree with you and encourage you. But I want to lead us in prayer in this moment. And as I lead in prayer, I don't don't want my words to, to just take the place of your heart and your cry and your desire. I want to invite you today to to talk to Jesus yourself. To to ask Him, Lord, I want to to drink deeply from You. I want to know You more. I want to grow in You. And to, to help you to see any area where there's not tight connection. God, I come to You today. And I just simply recognize, Lord, that everything we need is in You. I need you. We need you. Lord, it would be easy to get caught up in the things of this world. and It would be easy to to look at what's happening and and to pay so much attention that we just get caught up, maybe even discouraged. We're talking about the spiritual war that we're engaged in. It would be easy to get caught up in it and, and maybe feel discouraged. But Lord, help us to remember, oh Lord, in you there's life, in you there's joy, in you there's peace, in you there's victory. We don't have to be doom and gloom. We don't have to look around and get caught up and consumed by these things. Lord, we can look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. We can fix and keep our eyes on you, O Lord. And as we follow you, as we serve you, as we seek you, as we look to listen to what you have to say in our lives, Lord, we can know, Lord, that you will help. You will empower. Your victory will be our victory, Lord. Thank you. We call on you today because we're dependent on you. There's no other option for us, Lord. It's not ourselves. It's not what the world has to offer. We're dependent on you, Jesus. We want you, Jesus. We need you for life. We need you for strength. We need you for power. We need you for help. And maybe we can recognize today some areas that are are ongoing in this battle. Some areas that we're really struggling with. Or maybe, Lord, today you want to show us some areas that you want to work in even now. I just pray, oh God, that we all would recognize the invitations that you have given us. And that we would run to you in humility. And declare that you are our source. You are our strength. You are our power. You are our peace. And we would walk closely with you, O Lord. I pray that we would not 
blow by how important it is for us to walk closely with you. But that, Lord, we would see, we would recognize how much we need you. And we would, Lord, ever keep our face, our heart, our eyes, our minds. We would keep our lives focused on you, pointed towards you, that the posture of our heart would be pleasing and, Lord, yielded to you in whatever work you want to do. Strengthen, sustain, work in all of us, we pray. We need you, Jesus. We need you. There may be some today feel weak and weary that may, that may not just be from a busy schedule that may not just be from something going on that, that may be the enemy there may be some people today who are struggling in some area and you want to experience the victory over that you, you know what that sin is in your life you know what that issue that battle is in your life and you want to overcome that run to Jesus let him work in you I'm going to pray over you and then I want to encourage you today to take all the opportunity you want and need to talk with Jesus and let him work in you today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray help us to take it to heart. Help us, Lord, to never be one foot in, one foot out. Help us, Lord, to never serve any other so-called God. Help us, Lord, not to exalt things in ourselves or in our lives, God. But I pray we would honor you. We would serve you. We would follow you with everything that we are. And as we follow you, we trust your Holy Spirit power to be at work in us. Help us, Lord. We need you. Father, would you bless and keep this people? Would you make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Would your countenance, your favor, Lord, ever be turned in their direction? And would you grant them your peace? Go with us. Go before us. Guard our lives. Help us to be alert and of sober mind. And help us to drink deeply from you, Lord, in our lives. Speak, lead, guide, direct power. Use us, Lord, in every way. We thank you for it, Jesus, in your great and mighty name. Amen.